Chapter 27 of Bertram Cope's Year. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Bertram Cope's Year by Henry Blake Fuller. Chapter 27 Cope Escapes a Snare. Lemoyne's first week in his new berth held him rather close, and Cope was able to move about with less need of accounting for his every hour. One of his first concerns was to get over his sitting with Hortense Danton. His sitting? He said it was to be the first, the only, and the last. He came into her place with a show of confidence, a kind of blustery bonhomie. I give you an hour from my treadmill, he declared brightly. So many books, and such dry ones. Hortense, who had been moping, brightened too. I thought you had forgotten me, she said chidingly. Yet her tone had less acerbity than that which she had employed but a few moments before to address him in his absence for she often had in mind, at intervals longer or shorter, Cope's improvisation about the sassafras. Too truly that dense-minded shrub had failed to understand the young ladies and their needs. My thesis, he said. From now on, it must take a lot of my thought in every moment of my spare time. He looked at the waiting canvas. Clench it today. Hurry it through. He spoke with a facetious vivacity which almost gave a sense of chill. She looked at him with a shade of dissatisfaction and discomfort. What? Must it all be done in a drive? she asked. By no means. Watch me relax. Is that my chair? See me drop into complete physical and mental passivity. The caif of the Arabs. He mounted the model throne, sank into the wide chair, and placed his hands luxuriously on its arms. His general pose mattered little. She had not gone beyond his head and shoulders. Hortense stared. Would he push her on the moment into the right mood? Would he have her call into instant readiness her colors and brushes? Why, even a modest amateur must be allowed her minutes of preparation and approach. Passivity? She repeated, beginning to get under way. Shall I find you very entertaining in that condition? Entertaining? Me, the sitter? Why, I've always heard it was an important part of a portrait painter's work to keep the subject interested and amused. He smiled in his cold, distant way. The north light cut across the forehead, nose, and chin, which made his priceless profile. The canvas itself, done on theory in a lesser light, looked dull and lifeless. Hortense felt this herself. She did not see how she was going to key it up in a single hour. As she considered among her brushes and tubes, she began to feel nervous, and her temper stirred. You have a great capacity for being interested and amused, she said. Most men are like you, especially young ones. They are amused, diverted, entertained, 
and there it ends. Cope felt the prick. Well, we are bidden, he said, and we come. Too many of us have little to offer in return, except appreciation and goodwill. How better appreciate such kindness as Mrs. Phillips than by gratefully accepting more of it? Stilted copy-book talk, and he knew it. "'You haven't been accepting much of it lately,' she returned, feeling the point of a new brush. She spoke with the consciousness of empty evenings that might have been full. "'Hardly,' he replied, and he felt that this one word sufficed. "'Well, the coast will be clear after the 20th of April.' "'That is the date, then, is it?' The more he thought of the impending ceremony, the more grateful he was for his escape. Thankfulness had salved the earlier wound. No pain now came from his touching it. Yes, on that day the house will see the last of them. The wedding, then, will? Yes, Aunt Medora says, why go to Iowa? You're at home here. Why, indeed, drag George away out to Fort Lodge? Let her own people, who are not many, come to us. Aunt will do everything, and do it handsomely. She slanted her palette and looked toward the skylight. Cope's own glance swept non-committally the green burlap walls. Both of them were seeing pictures of the wedding preparations. Hortense saw delivery boys at the front door, with things that must be held to the light or draped over chairs. She saw George hailing Amy to the furniture shops and to the dealers in wallpaper. She saw them in cozy, shaded confab, evening after evening, in her aunt's library. It was a period of joy, of self-absorption, of unsettlement, of longing, of irritation, of exasperation. Oh, would it never end! Cope saw a long string of gifts and entertainments, a diamond engagement ring, a lavishly furnished apartment. How in the world could he himself have compassed all this? And how blessed was he among men that he had not been obliged to try? Hortense went through some motions with her brush, yet seemed to be looking beyond him rather than at him. There will be a bridal trip of a week or so, she concluded, and they will be in their new home on the 1st of May. Very good, said Cope. He thought he was thinking to himself, but he spoke aloud. And that ends it. This last he really did say to himself. He sank more comfortably into his chair, kept his face properly immobile, and spoke no further word. Hortense brought back her gaze to focus, and worked on for a little time in silence. The light was good, her palette was full, her brushes were well chosen, her eyes were intent on his face. It was a handsome face, displayed to the best advantage. She might look as long as she liked, and a long look preceded every stroke. Presently she paused, opening her eyes wider and holding aloft her brush. There will be a bridesmaid, she said. The deuce, he thought. That didn't end it. But he said no thing aloud. Guess who? Why, how should I? Guess, she cried peremptorily, in a tone of bitter derision. You won't? 
Well, it's Carolyn, our poor, silly Carolyn, and what do you suppose she has started in to do? She is writing an epith... an epithal... Amium, contributed Cope, an epithalamium. Yes, an epithalamium, repeated Hortense, with an outburst of jarring laughter. Isn't she absurd? Isn't she ridiculous? Is she? Why, it seems to me a delicate attention, a very sweet thought. If Carolyn could make anything out of Amy, and of George, why, let her do it. You like her poetry? cried Hortense in a high, strained voice. You enjoy her epithalamiums and her sonnets? Cope flushed and began to grow impatient. She is a sweet girl, he said, and if she wishes to write verse, she is quite within her rights. Sweet. There you go again. Sweet. Twice. She ought to know. Perhaps she does know. Everybody else knows. And perhaps she doesn't, cried Hortense. Tell her. Tell her. Cope stared. She is a sweet girl, he repeated, and she has been filling very discreetly a somewhat difficult position. He knew something of the suppressed bitterness which, in subordinate places, was often the lot of the pen. He found himself preferring, just here, pen to typewriter. He would give Carolyn a touch of idealization, though she had afflicted him with a heavy stroke of embarrassment. "'Difficult position?' shrilled Hortense. "'With Aunt Medora the very soul of kindness? I like that. Well, if you want to rescue her from her difficult position, do it. If you admire her and love her, tell her so. She'll be grateful. Just read those sonnets over again.' Hortense dropped her palette and brushes and burst into outrageous tears. Cope sat bolt upright in that spacious chair. Tell her? I have nothing to tell her. I have nothing to tell anyone. His resonant words cut the air. They uttered decision. He did not mean to make the same mistake twice. Hortense drew across her eyes an apron redolent of turpentine and stepped toward the throne. "'Nothing? Why this sudden refuge in silence?' she asked, almost truculently, even if tremulously. "'You usually find enough words, even though they mean little.' "'I'm afraid I do,' he admitted cautiously. "'You have nothing to tell anyone? Nothing to tell me?' Cope rose. "'Nothing to tell anyone,' he repeated. "'Nothing.' Then let me tell you something. There was an angry thrill in her voice. For I am not so selfish and cold-hearted as you are. I have seen nobody but you all these months. I have never tried harder to please anybody. You have scarcely noticed me. You have never given me a glance or a thought. You could interest yourself in that silly Amy and in our foolish Carolyn. But for me, me... Nothing. Cope came down from the throne. If she had lavished her maiden thoughts on him, by day or evening or at night, he had not known and could hardly be supposed to know. Indeed, she had begun by treating him with a cursory roughness, 
nor had he noticed any great softening later on. Listen, he said. Under the stress of embarrassment and alarm, his cold blue eyes grew colder, and his delicate nostrils quivered with an effect a little too like disdain. I like you as well as another, no more, no less. I am in no position to think of love and marriage, and I have no inclination that way. I am willing to be friends with everybody, and nothing more with anybody. The sentences came with the cruel detachment of bullets, but not again, not twice, was his uppermost thought. Any bluntness, any ruggedness, rather than another month like that of the past holiday season. He took a step away and looked to one side toward the couch where his hat and coat were lying. Go if you will, she said, and go as soon as you like. You are a contemptible, cold-hearted ingrate. You have grudged me every minute of your company, everywhere, and every second you have given me here. If I have been foolish, it is over now, and there shall be nothing to record my folly. She stepped to the easel and hurled the canvas to the floor, where it lay with pallet and brushes. Cope stood with his hat in his hand and his coat over his arm. He seemed to see the open volume of some printed play. After all, there was a type which, even under emotional stress, gave a measure of instinctive heed to structure and cadence. Well, if there was relief for her in words, he could stand to hear her speak for a moment or two more, not longer. One word yet, she said in a panting voice. Your Arthur Lemoyne, that preposterous friendship cannot go on for long. You will tire of him, or more likely he will tire of you. Something different, something better will be needed, and you will live to learn so. I should be glad if I never saw either one of you again. She turned her stormy face away, and Cope slipped out with a blended sense of mortification, pain, and relief. End of chapter 27 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista